Julie, what are you doing? You do not try to kill Veronica. Not Queen V, not my absolute favorite, not on my watch. You don't. Preferably, we don't try to kill any cast members. Maybe that's the route we go. Maybe that's what we try. Plus, what do you know? Mike is here and boom, relationship drama ensues. CT makes his debut along with half of the Real World Paris cast. Dave Mira is here hosting now, and he has with him maybe the weirdest set of elimination rounds we've ever seen. All of the romance and fights a challenge house could ever hope for are coming into this house, and maybe, best of all, Coral is back, and you better not ask her to wrestle you on the lawn. We're headed to Acapulco, baby. It's the full season recap of season eight, The Inferno, coming up right now. What up, my fellow challenge lovers? Welcome to the challenge historian where we dive deep into all things mtv's the challenge past present or future if it's happening in the challenge universe then we are here to document it i am your host dedicated challenge historian jacob hollaball thank you so very very much for being here with us today on today's show we continue the 2022 challenge series rewatch by diving into season eight the inferno Sunny Acapulco, a $12 million house, all quiet and serene until the inferno comes to town. Acapulco! Bringing a heap of trouble with it. Yeah! We're supposed to be a team. That boy's a machine, you know it. This game is so nasty. I could only talk for so long. The next thing I know, I'm swinging. The weird part is, like, every time we go to these these challenges, I look around and I'm like, I don't see anyone fighting here. I don't see anyone getting a relationship here. I don't see anything happening. I see this is going to be a boring show. Then about a week or two into it, I'm like, oh, my bad. I almost forgot. This is the real world and road rules. So you did lie to me. When I hear her voice, it makes me want to go home. She cannot be talking to me like that. <laughs> ah, what a memorable season, truly. I mean, we we are talking about two, three, four, maybe more iconic moments from this show that are top of mind. I'll always remember when type of moments in challenge history. Pretty incredible stuff from a season that certainly has its shares of uh, you know hits and misses as far as decisions made from cast and production alike. We will get into all of that over the next hour or two here, and we will do so using the similar format to what we've been doing for these season rewatch recaps. Some minor tweaks here or there, possibly, as we continue along, which reminds me of two things to say to you, my fellow challenge historian listening right now. First and foremost, thank you so much for being here and for all the feedback I've been getting on these rewatch podcasts and all the episode recaps and clips posted to the Challenge Historian Instagram page. It is so, 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 so appreciated um, to hear from folks who are enjoying the show. It means the world. It makes it so much more fun that 
it are more fun than even than it already is. It's already fun on its own part, but being able to share it and share this rewatch journey makes it even more enjoyable and rewarding, which leads me to my second thing for you, which is that I'd love to learn more about why you are either liking or disliking or would love to see discussed as I continue on more and more season recaps, because I do plan... We'll see if it happens in this calendar year or not. That's still the goal. But one way or the other, I plan on knocking out every single season of the show. And I'd love to get some feedback from y'all listening for ways to make them better and better as we go along. So hit me up on Instagram at Challenge Historian. Slide in those DMs. That's the easiest way to contact me for the time being. I may be a little slow on my DMs, but I do typically respond to every single one of them. And I would love to hear some feedback, be it positive, negative, or indifferent. Just keep it constructive, if you will. And let me know what you think. If there's something, a topic, uh, an idea about that you'd love to see added into, always discussed about each one of these seasons, something you love, something you hate, something you think we could do without, something we could add in, a twist on something, whatever it may be. Let me know your thoughts there. And that's it. Thanks again for being here. But uh, with that, we're not, we'll keep all programming notes to the very end. You know them all by now. All-Stars 3 recap coming as those episodes come out. Try to do one of these season recaps once, you know, every week, every other week, as often as we can. There we did. We just nailed out the production notes all just like that. So with that, we're off. Let's head down to Mexico. Let's pull up to that $18 million mansion. Head down the steps into the fiery pit of hell that is the Inferno. Let's kick things off with our state of the challenge, talk some basics, some evolutions, get our mind wrapped around this season, season eight, the Inferno, where we're at, what's going on, and very, you know, the highest level of high level stuff about this season as we start to dive on in and peel back the layers and talk about it all. We will be talking about it all. There's a lot to get through. So let's start with just kind of where the challenge is at. This is season eight. And this is around the time where the challenge is very much hitting its stride, hitting its, I I don't know if I want to say it's high point, um, depending how you look at it. I feel like there's kind of some peaks and valleys over the history of the challenge. It didn't like get to a, a high peak and then plateau there for a very, very long time. It hit some peaks. It dipped a little. It hit some peaks. It dipped a little. It's, it's hard to say which peak maybe was the highest, but this is definitely its first peak. It's initial, you know, it's ramped all the way up, and now it's a real thing. It's a big franchise. It is a staple on MTV, and Really, you can tell that by the way that they did this season as they went Gauntlet Inferno back to back. Those two were launching a new era of the show. Adding in the eliminations kind of was the final big, big change. We'll talk about evolutions here in a moment, but that was the final really big that we're going to do this different. And now we've got the formula for this show. We've got people from Road Rules. We got people from Real World. We take the stars. We put them back in another house. We let them come back season after season so they can have big, long storylines. They can have different feuds, different rivalries, different best friends, different romances. They can compete each other repeatedly. We put them all in a house. We make them do silly but athletic competitions. We hope drama ensues, and we give the ones that make it to the end a whole bunch of money for their time. And they added in the elimination element that you don't get to stay the whole time. And now you don't just get voted out. You fight for your way out. So the gauntlet Inferno really was 
kind of era number two of the show. Everything before that, the first six seasons, they're kind of figuring it out. That's the figuring it out era of the challenge. What do we have here? What could this be era of the challenge? And Gauntlet and Inferno were literally, they're not only just filmed damn near back to back, it's kind of crazy. I would love to talk to one of the seven cast members that was on both seasons, how fast they just went from one to filming the other. Um, But they were filmed very close together, very, very close together, and they were released literally back to back. The gauntlet went and ran their 17 episodes long, or yeah, 17 episodes, whatever it was. There was then, instead of a reunion for the gauntlet, there was an episode called Battle Scars from the Gauntlet to the Inferno, which literally aired the week after the gauntlet finale, and then one week later was premiere episode of the Inferno. So these were back to back. They were squished together. They were kind of billed as, you know, the Inferno was more or less a sequel in a way to the gauntlet. And it's a new era of the show. And it's the show hitting its first peak of relevancy, of importance in the MTV world. And really of all of these folks that are on it are now bona fide, like reality television stars. And we're still back in 2004. So you you don't even really have to delineate from reality television star to just these are these are celebrities. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not the biggest movie stars in the world, not that level of celebrity, but these people are celebrities in their own right. They're big, big stars, and the franchise is full steam ahead. There, this is a no signs of ever stopping this until we're forced to stop this. Vibes with it, the running back-to-back seasons, the whole thing. Real world at the time is, you know. Adding to the confidence of the challenge is the fact that Real World is hitting an absolute all-time high that they might be able they sustain then for a little while. But we're coming right off Real World Paris, one of the iconic seasons of the Real World. We've got Chicago around this time. We're about to introduce a bunch of. Uh, we've had a few of them before. We're about to bring a bunch of them back again. But Paris just aired Real World all-time high. And now we're pumping in four cast members from the real world Paris into one season, um, which was the first time I think really that they went that heavy on, you know, because they were airing this back to back. Normally the last few seasons, there had been two seasons of the real world to a season of the challenge. There was 14 real world cast members to pick from as new rookies. This one, there was one, they wanted to get them in there and back on the screens as fast as possible. They do. Road Rules, on the other hand, they're the end of this season. They have a promo for Road Rules Extreme, which was filming around the same time. That season, while great and would bring the likes of a Derek and a Jody into our lives, was kind of the last flame of Road Rules. Uh, there would be Viewer's Revenge after that, and then it's it. So it's kind of at the end of that show, and very much, you know, we've talked about with the last few seasons of the challenge during the State of the Challenge portion, talking about how Road Rules was not only dying out, but it was because the resources were being moved from that competition show to this competition show. And this is right about where they're like, all right, Road Rules, we're letting you do Road Rules Extreme. We're putting as much money and travel and crazy shit into it as we ever have. But it's kind of it. Then we're then we've got enough folks and we've got this challenge thing going and running so strong. We're sticking with it. And the final part of kind of where the challenge was at is also just where the reality world was at and where the reality competition show was at. The reality television show the was just in a complete boom. There was so much going on. MTV was pumping a lot of it out. 
you know, ABC was pumping theirs out. There was, you know, the beginnings of what would be VH1, Bravo, E, that type, those types of, you know, whether they're on those networks or not, that type of reality blossoming out there and niche down within that in the competition space. Survivor, Big Brother, Amazing Race, they're all three years in or so at this point, two, four, three, four, five seasons in. And they are big, big deals on, in their own own right. And reality competition shows are really kind of having a moment. The challenge is big. Survivor is massive. Big Brother is big. Amazing Race is big. All of them have a cultural footprint. All of them at the same time. Challenge obviously came first. We'll always say that. It's also the best one. We'll always say that too. But that's kind of where the challenge is at. It's really hitting its first peak. It's in its stride. No signs of turning back, and it's really become it's it's an official franchise. It was a franchise, you know, the moment they did a second one and a third one, but now it is viewed as oh, I'm popping into the challenge. I've watched a bunch of those. I know I'm going to watch a bunch more, and this is a comfortable space. This is a franchise that I know and love and know will be around for the long haul. So that's where we're at coming into the season. Now let's talk a couple basics of the season here. First off, aired, as we just said, immediately after the gauntlet. So this aired from February 2nd, 2004 to May 31st, 2004. Zero break between episodes of the gauntlet and episodes of the Inferno. Cast, 20 people deep. Let me pull up that cast list to read all of them for you. They're almost all, only 20, which was a a drop down from where we had been for a few seasons in a row, where we had been in the high 20s, low 30s range, but 20 people. We've got Team Real World, which is Coral from Back to New York, CT from Paris, Miz from Back to New York, Cyrus from Boston, David from Seattle, Leah from Paris, Julie from New Orleans, Mallory from Paris, Trichelle from Las Vegas, and Ace from Paris as well. Four Real World Paris rookies coming in as we said before then on real world or excuse me on road rules we've got abram from south pacific christina from south pacific Darrell from campus crawl holly from latin america katie from the quest kendall from campus crawl timmy from road rules to veronica semester at sea shane campus crawl and jeremy from south pacific those are your 10 road rules 10 real world 20 people total new host for this season dave mira BMX legend, may he rest in peace. Dave Mira is here taking over after a couple seasons of Johnny Mosley. We do know as we're looking back at these, you know, in retrospect, Dave would host the two seasons of the Inferno. He and Johnny would go alternate Gauntlet Inferno, Battle of the Sexes Inferno Gauntlet. TJ shows up. TJ's there for the rest of history. Location, Acapulco, Mexico, our second season ever in Mexico, one of the all-time best locations. Should just do all of them there, arguably. They almost always work out for absolutely great, amazing seasons. The prize money, $300,000, plus those Saturn ions at the end, because Saturn is still here. One thing that doesn't change in the early days of this show is Saturn is sponsoring it. Saturn is giving away some cars and uh, Veronica now has a lot of Saturn cars in her garage. I'm sure she probably doesn't have all of them now, you know, 18 years later, but uh, she's got a lot of Saturns uh, in her garage in the mid-2000s there. Episodes, 17 full-length episodes of the season, plus three different specials. We said before the Battle Scars from the Gauntlet to the Inferno was a pseudo-recap of the Gauntlet and preview of the Inferno that aired the one week between those two shows airing their finale and premiere. 
Then the we had a final burn uh, special, um, which was right before the finale of this season. So mixed in, it's actually hard to tell. Uh, different places you look have the episodes listed slightly differently, but um, if you go by 20-minute episodes, then there was 17 full ones, and in before the final uh, episode, or really the final two, the finale episode, which is kind of two episodes if you count it as a full 17, but there was a final burn one where they did like a full season recap, a 40-minute long, hey, here's the 15 episodes you've watched before, everything that's happened, setting you up for the final inferno in the final challenge. Very cool, very interesting. Liked that they do it, and they did it. It did not take up a week of the schedule. It was just a bonus. It was added in, and it was two-hour-long finale extravaganza on this day, 18 years ago. And then a third special, they did do a full reunion. So 17 episodes, three different special reunion preview-type episodes. That is the basics of the season. And somehow, in all of that, I just referenced it, but I didn't say it earlier, This is the 18th anniversary of the end of this season, literally right now while I'm recording this. So maybe not when you're listening to this, but May 24th, 2004. That is when the finale aired in today, May 24th, 2022. So 18-year anniversary. Very cool stuff. Finally here from a high-level perspective, let's talk evolutions, firsts, and history made during this season. And then we'll dive in a little, start to peel back the layers of some of the big storylines from the season. But evolutions. This is uh, normally my favorite segment of the entire podcast, at least it was for the first seven uh, seasons of the challenge. But once the gauntlet introduced the eliminations, that was kind of the final big evolution that's going to take place every time. We're going to do this category for every single season all the way through, but it is going to become much more subtle from here on out, really, because they've you know they've figured out the formula. Um, there's going to be subtle things, people pulling from different shows, all all kinds of stuff to come, but. Just know that while the first seven seasons, it's like, whoa, this season, the first time they did this, they added this, they changed this. It's going to be a little bit more subtle moving forward. And this season, there was a lot of change, but it was really, really subtle change. They kind of had figured out that the gauntlet, okay, that was that was a really good formula. That's, that's the thing. We found it. We've put all the pieces together. We've tinkered. We found it. The gauntlet was what the challenge would be from then on forward. But now how do we make it just a little different each time, a little better, a little, you know, sometimes a little worse, honestly, although that's obviously not their intention. But with this one, the biggest evolution, there's two real ones to talk about. The first one is the, there had obviously been vets before. People had done multiple seasons before. This is not the first season to ever feature someone doing their second or third season or anything like that. But it is the first season to feature so many holdovers from the season before, the gauntlet into the inferno, and to be truly a sequel to a season that had come before. Well, obviously, the gauntlet would go on to have a trilogy of seasons in the gauntlet format, and the inferno would go on to have a trilogy of seasons in the gauntlet, or in the inferno format. The gauntlet one and inferno one really were sequels. They're, as we've said over and over, they're filmed together, and there's seven people from the previous cast that are then in this cast, that's seven out of 20, that's a big percentage of the cast, is from one season right in to the next one, plus six more people that are vets, bringing it to 13 total out of the 20 
people. I mean, that's a high, high percentage. We're talking 65% of the cast was vets, if not on their third or fourth or fifth season. Speaking of, Veronica continues to reset her own record. This is her fifth season of the show in the first eight. So she has the record at this time by two over Ms. Coral, Cyrus, Julie, and Holly, who all five were back for their third ever season. So the holdovers, the, the like true veteran status of this cast in the first time where we really, really had, you know, every time the people come in, they have their pre-existing storylines from real world or road rules. Maybe they had an enemy from there. Maybe they had a romance from there, this, that, or the other. But this is the first season where it's like, whoa, all of these people here, you know, the rookies, yes, they got their baggage from real world Paris or whatever, but the holdovers, we've got people with a bunch of baggage from like two weeks ago when we were in Telluride, and we've got you know a whole bunch of people who got baggage from Battle of the Sexes or Battle of the Seasons or Extreme Challenge. So that holdover is kind of an evolution of the first time where the game really stepped into, all right, these people are coming back for a lot of seasons. We're trying to bring pairs, tri- trios back that make a lot of sense from this storyline was really, really compelling and didn't fully finish we didn't finish that arc or there's more could be more to it or it just could cause a little rift a little drama here there so bring those people back in put them back in the house immediately right again together trishel and mike they had a relationship they broke up boom they're back in the house immediately weeks later again figure that one out and so that's the first evolution the second one then is within the format of the show which is it really does evolve, but it is in the most subtle of ways where they truly do kind of say, all right, well, we had before the eliminations. That's that's key. That's the final big step. Boom. We got it. Real world people, world rules people. We have them, you know, compete for some money. Then every every time they compete for money in the daily challenge, then they do an elimination. They send someone home. And eventually those that make it at the end win a whole bunch of money. Great. That's the base, base format. We're keeping that. We'll tinker with it and do a couple things that we've done before, but a little differently. So the eliminations are here for their second season. The lifesaver is here for the third or fourth time, but the cadence of how everything works is new. Instead of daily elimination, daily elimination all the way through, this time we got daily then you do your nominations. Then we do another daily with a lifesaver up for grabs to take that nominated person and save themselves with the knowledge that they are playing to save themselves from the inferno. Then we do an elimination. So it's two dailies and then elimination instead of the one. The lifesaver for the first time really has an impact. It's not really that impactful in the seasons it showed up before this. This time around, it very, very much is. It plays a massive role in the entire season. We'll talk Plenty about that in a couple different storylines later. So that is new. The format has changed. And then the other small tweak they made to the elimination format is that the teams get to propose their own two names to put up. The other team gets to pick one from those two to put in. Slightly different than the season before where in the gauntlet they get to just pick their own person from their team. And there's no way to change it out or anything of that nature. And again, the lifesaver doesn't really matter in the season before that. So that's the format change. That is an evolution. A couple other things just from a first or history perspective of the challenge. We already talked about Veronica, fifth season, Ms. Coral, Cyrus, Julie, Holly, third season. That's uh, history as it goes. This continues to be history. Every time Veronica's on for a few more seasons, it's always the next level of the first person to do this many seasons, then this many, then this many, and then she holds it for quite a while after that. But we also had 
small evolution in my mind, uh, mostly because I love, I have such a soft spot in my heart for that pool outside the Wyndham Peaks Resort on the gauntlet, being the gauntlet arena, not really being a big setup, nothing compared to what we would know today to be the elimination arena type setup they would have. This one kind of was, the Inferno was a dedicated, built to look cool space, built right on site, right outside of the house. The first real, you know, elimination arena, if you will, um, with respect to the Wyndham Peaks Resorts Hotel pool. And then we get, for the first time, Veronica and I'm the only fifth ever season, first three-time champ. Veronica wins for the third time. She becomes the most decorated uh, challenger in challenge history, which was already a title she held, but now she just extends it because two other people, a Holly and a Durrell, get their second title ever, and so they're right on her heels. And Durrell and Veronica are the first ever back-to-back champions in challenge history. So that history is being made. And then the one we mentioned before, but we'll just quickly reference again, this is the longest season ever to date. Um, There's some seasons nowadays that, in runtime especially, you know, far eclipses, total episodes are about the same as this, but by far the longest season ever to date at the time because 17 episodes, three specials, that's 20 full episodes, and a couple of those are 40 minutes instead of 20 minutes, so by far, in a way, the longest season we had ever had. So with that, that's, you know, that's your high, high level. That's, you know, what are we looking at? What do we got in our hands here? What uh, What is the challenge putting forward? What is the Inferno? The state the challenge was in, the basics of the show, the evolutions in the history that were made. With that, let's move from here and let's start peeling back some of these layers. And by layers, I mean storylines. Let's dive on in, get a little more detailed and talk about some of the biggest stories that came from this season. Into the storylines we go, and a quick disclaimer from the top that uh, the the awards will be coming after the storylines as they do on every one of these episodes, and the awards this season are going to be really good and really kind of break things out to be able to neatly talk about some of the biggest moment of moments of the season within the awards discussion. So for this storyline portion of the podcast. If something fits neatly into an award category, we're going to probably wait and talk about it then. So if you keep listening to this and you're like, how the hell have we not talked about Julie almost killing Veronica or something of that nature, one of the many memorable moments, it may just be because it's coming later where it neatly fits into a nice category or award. So that disclaimer up top, but let's dive into the biggest stories of the season. And there, it is a season so packed with different storylines and very well cadenced with, you know, there isn't the way the previous season, the gauntlet, it was like, there's some stories going on, but this is really just the story of Sarah from beginning to end. And then other things pop up with it, but that one never goes away. Uh, This season is not like that. This season very much has four or five big kind of stories going on. And they're all popping up at different times. There's not one that is always there, always present the entire way through. They all exist throughout the whole thing, but they're they're popping up at different times. If you if you get what I'm not so eloquently trying to say, the only one that really lasts the entire time is the one we're going to start with, and that is Road Rules absolutely kicks Real World's ass again for the fourth out of six times. And this is the this is the biggest ass kicking in the Real World versus Road Rules. Uh, you know, era of the show um, or any of the times where it's real world versus road rules in some sort of team setting. 
This is the biggest ass kicking anyone ever gets, and it's not even close. Road Rules wins 11 out of the 15 daily challenges. So they go 11 and 4 in daily challenges. And in eliminations, Road Rules go 6 and 2. That's a 74% win percentage across all daily challenges or elimination for the whole season. Three out of four, no matter what they were doing, three out of four, Road Rules was winning it. And you even throw into that, Road Rules was openly throwing multiple missions on this, which we'll talk about again in a second. But that even adds to the fact they weren't even trying some of the times. And they won 75, we'll round up from 74 to 75, shall we? 75% of the times, three-fourths of the time. They won basically everything all season long. And the mentality of the two shows is really shining through in this season. And it was actually really encapsulated quite well, um, quite eloquently by Christina from Road Rule South Pacific during the reunion special, which was then interrupted by Timmy being very funny. But let's hear her actually explain that from their point of view, the cast member's point of view. I'm going to start off by saying, road rules, you guys were victorious once again. It's getting kind of ridiculous, don't you think? <laughs> no, it ain't. It's not. It's not. thinks they're better than we are, but I mean, who wins the challenge? Tell me why you guys seem so unstoppable. Every time I see Mike, you know, I rise to the occasion a little bit to whoop his ass once again. <laughs> you know, it's really hard. But now the girls really don't like. We used to traveling and competing, and real world used to arguing with each other. So that's simply that's why we whoop the ass we every just, time. Simple as that. Not every. We feel like the underdogs. Well, we've always felt like the underdogs, well, so we, we overcompensate and we try to we try to win. We're taking up a collection for the real world. You guys don't mind? You want to pitch in? They've lost a lot of challenges in the past. Please, everyone, donate. Thank you. I'll tell you what. Road rules got lucky twice, you know? Even a blind squirrel finds an acorn once in a while. Timmy being hilarious about that aside, she has a very good point here, and I found it very interesting. That reunion, we'll talk about in a little bit, but very, very good reunion, one of the better reunions they've ever had, probably, um, where they get into a lot of actual real interesting stuff about the show, this being one of the biggest ones, that, hey, Road Rules has now won four out of the six seasons that we've done this real world versus road rules. And if we're being fair, battle of the seasons, road rules kind of was kicking ass most of the time. They just lost the final mission because Mike figured out the, the Hanoi tower puzzle before anyone could on road rules. And that was, that was basically it. So, you know, real world won the big money, but road rules was kind of better that season even too, but four out of six, why is this happening? Why is it so dominant one way? And it's pretty obvious and pretty simple and an easy explanation be like, yeah, road rules comes from a competition show where they all are doing competitions and these people are competitive and that's what their entire show and what they're, they think they're there to do. That's, that's, that's what they know. That's what they do. Real world. They live in a house and drama is the name of the game. Their show is great because just drama happens. Romance happens. People become best friends. People become worse enemies. You know, it, it, if you take those two shows and you put them in a house and say, yeah, so uh, real world, we're basically going to do road rules uh, season, but you're just going to, we're going to have more money on the line and you're going to stay here. You're not going to travel for it, but we're, we're still doing road rules. This did all start as road rules, all stars after all. So it's no wonder that road rules is way, you know, more kind of more suited in that their casts are more often casted for the purpose of and more suited to the, the challenge atmosphere at this time. So that makes total sense. But 
Uh, it's it's one of those as you're watching the season. We've had seasons past where one team or the other, you know, goes on runs and wins five dailies in a row or anything like that. But it always ebbs and flows a little bit. Even when one team at the end, of, you're like, oh, they really did kind of kick ass the whole time. There's ebbs and flows. There's you know the women winning two or three challenges in a row at the end of battle of the sexes to really kind of even the numbers out. There's real world winning on the gauntlet two dailies and three eliminations or whatever it was in a row in the back half of the season to kind of really make this comeback feel like it's this big, big comeback this season. There's literally none of that. The four wins for the real world are spread out. The two elimination wins are spread out. It basically feels every episode has road rules winning something. I think literally every episode, I don't think there's ever a back to back daily elimination, daily, daily win for real world. Um, they just kick ass the whole time. They know it, they're confident in it. And for the, for the second or third show in a row, the drama is really, really there on the real world side and the bickering and the how do we do the voting in, who's going to go in, are people afraid, not afraid, this, that, and the other versus the road rules this entire season. They almost have no problems with who's going to go into the Inferno, who's going to be nominated. It's volunteers almost every single time. It's very cordial. The only single one is Katie, which we will talk about momentarily. So road rules kicks ass. That's the biggest storyline. Storyline number two is... Uh, could have been in the evolutions category, honestly, but is that these two teams both were focused on building a team for the final. And that never really happened before. So this really is kind of an evolution that I forgot to add into it. But for the first time ever, we were coming off a season where, you know, the final was kind of won or lost on the fact that Coral got bit by a spider and was hospitalized and cost her team a whole bunch of time while they figured out that she wasn't just tired, but she was actually about to die. And so... That really threw off the final, and you know, Road Rules won. Not because of that. They were really good. They were probably a better team, but they also, that was a big, big factor in the final mission for sure. And this is the first ever season where basically the whole time both teams are thinking about, hey, we want to win these dailies. $10,000 every time is great, but we want to make sure we win that $150,000 at the end, and we want to make sure that we don't have anyone on our team that we think is going to cause us to lose that and it creates a storyline the entire season of trying to get specific people off of both teams. With Road Rules, it's specifically trying to get Katie off. In Real World, it's specifically trying to keep Katie on Road Rules. And eventually it becomes trying to get Leah off of Real World's team. And it's a story the whole time. It causes a whole lot of drama, but it's also just interesting from a strategic standpoint that this is the first time we see the people kind of being comfortable in the game. It comes back to, you know, having all the veteran players, having a, you know, Mike and Coral have done two final, two real finals at this point. If we say that Extreme Challenge Season 4 was the first time they had a true final challenge, a real final challenge of any, you know, with any length of endurance in it at all, then, you know, we've had three of those, four, five, six, and seven. We've had four of those. I can do math. We've had four of them. Cyrus has been a part of one. Uh, Julie's been a part of one. Miz and Coral have been a part of two. Veronica's been a part of two. Darrell's been a part of one. Uh, Holly's been a part of one. There's a lot of people that have been a part of one, and the other cast that maybe haven't have probably watched the show now and seem to have an idea of how the game works and know, and so they're thinking the whole season, hey, yeah, we just lost again. That sucks. We just lost another person. That sucks, but we want to get to the end. We want to get $150,000. And if there's less of us here to split it, that's fine. As long as it's the strongest people that are going to win that. 
And it's very interesting to see them really building a team for the final the entire time and weighing the pros and cons of, especially on the road rule side, hey, we keep winning. We keep sending only their players home. That's a good thing, right? We're like, we want everyone here at the end, right? Or do we not? And it plays out. And that specific targeting does lead to the third big overarching storyline, which is everyone is fighting on this season. I I shouldn't say everyone, respectfully. I should say there is always a major fight going on at all points, every stage, every episode of this season. There's only, there's a handful of people involved, two people per fight, usually with some, you know, some people on the outer skirts of some of them, but so it's not everyone, but it is every single episode, every single day, every single week, the entire time they're there, someone, when one fizzles out, another one sparks up, when that one's maybe run its course, a new one comes back or pops up. And we get fight after fight after fight and argument after argument and argument. And if this was a prime time, we didn't have enough of them yet, but you know, 14 seasons from this moment, we would have the debut of the rivals era of the challenge. And man, there was a lot of rivals being made on this season. They could have, they could have gotten around to a rival season earlier because we start with Coral versus Julie. Coral versus Julie was a big thing the whole season. Coral comes in and while we don't get a full explanation, seemingly she's friends with Melissa from Real World New Orleans or just watch Battle of the Sexes and thought Melissa versus Julie was a funny, interesting thing because Coral shows up with a shirt that says, Melissa will kill you. I believe it's what it says on it. Um, and it is a direct reference to, she says it's a reference to Julie and Melissa's falling out and argument that they would have on back on Battle of the Sexes. And Julie and Coral don't like each other from the start. And Julie feels like the entire time Coral is manipulating every single one of the deliberations. And she's kind of the one really picking who's getting nominated every single time and isn't doing it maybe the most fair way. And Julie wants it to be strictly on performance and a little bit wants it to kind of be her way versus just Coral's way. She has some points. She doesn't handle the, you know, arguing her points perfectly every time because Coral definitely does. Coral is the voice of her team for sure on this season. Uh, for the second, if not third season um, that they've been on together, Coral and Mike really are the team leaders of Real World and where in the past it was the two of them, but Mike was like the captain. This time around, because likely them coming in with Mike having betrayed Coral a little bit on the season before, um, even with what happened to Coral in the gauntlet final, Coral kind of is running the show here the whole time. Uh, no one wants to step to her on Real World's team. No one feels like they really need to either, except for Julie. And her and Julie go at it. They argue over and over and over. And then it eventually boils to a head when Julie gets nominated for an Inferno when she feels like it should probably be Coral. And Julie then gets picked to go into the Inferno. She's going in against Katie. They both are mad at the same time. Like both of their teams don't want them there at the same time. And Julie decides, you know, all the guys, they've been wrestling the whole time. The guys are constantly wrestling in the yard uh, on this season. And she decides she wants to she wants to get settle this whole thing with Coral the way the men have been settling it. She wants to wrestle. She 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 yells, she screams, she goes off, she goes in and tell and she tells everyone, I want to wrestle Coral right now. I want to they had a big verbal argument. They go their separate ways. And then, you know, Julie says to all the other guys, to CT and everyone else standing around. I want to wrestle her. I want to wrestle on the yard and then this is going to be done. We can just all move on. It can be over. We'll settle this the way the men in the house do. CT goes and tells Coral. Coral responds in only a way that Coral can respond. One of the epic, iconic, most memorable moments in quotes in challenge history. 
Here it is from her. She wants to fight in the grass. Give me a break, Coral. She wants to wrestle me in the grass. Go downstairs. She wants to hit me? No, she wants to wrestle you. I don't wrestle. I beat bitches up. She does not end up beating any bitches up. Uh, thankfully, she decides that I, since she doesn't wrestle, since she only beats bitches up, and they're not allowed to do that there, uh, she does not follow through. We then find out, this kind of dissipates, Julie goes into the elimination, she ends up losing to Katie in, uh, in an upset, a little bit of an upset, and she goes home, and that's kind of the end of that argument, but then at the reunion special, we find out that that wasn't the end of the argument, that when Coral says, no, Julie, I will not wrestle you, that Julie went and pissed on Coral's bed. And I can't believe, I mean, I get that they save it for, it's the first thing they show in the reunion when they do the unseen footage. And it's unbelievable. It's so great. It's a minute long thing about the fact that Julie went and peed on Coral's bed as retaliation for her not being willing to wrestle her. And I can't believe they didn't put this in the actual show, but it works out well that you know they saved this unbelievably great juicy nugget for the reunion special to do some unseen footage. And maybe the reason they don't put it in the actual show is because somehow, if you never knew this, if you watch the Inferno and remember the Inferno, but and you remember their fight, their argument, you remember, I don't wrestle, I fucking beat bitches up. You remember that, but you don't, remember anything after it, you're like, I've never heard about this. If I told you, I'm filling you in for the first time, that after that happened, after Coral said that, and wouldn't wrestle Julie, that Julie pissed on Coral's bed that night, within minutes, not while Coral was in it, she didn't know, she found out about it later, and she went, and she asked around everyone, how did it happen? If I told you that Coral was unbelievably calm and laughed about the whole thing, and just couldn't have cared less, you would never believe that. You'd be like, wait, 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 no. Cora went and knocked her out, right? That's that's when the beating bitches up started. No, 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 no. She somehow, which is, I guess, why it's probably not on the show, because she's so calm about it. She laughs about it. She goes, she has David uh, explain to her. She's like, no, 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 I want to, you saw her do it. Like, I want to know how, how did she do it? Like, did she throw one leg up? Did she stand on top of the bed? Did she lay down? Like, tell, explain everything to me. She's just laughing about it. And it's a pretty short clip during the reunion, and then they kind of move on pretty quickly afterwards. They're all just like laughing and happy that they showed it. Julie is not there to discuss it. The reunion only features the people that made the final, which is the only bad part about the reunion because they kind of talk about uh, you know stuff with Trishel and stuff with Julie a whole bunch, and they're not there to give their side of the story. But either way, unbelievable moment. Coral versus Julie, a lot, a lot came out of this, and they would have been an unbelievable rivals pair if they would have went to a rivals season earlier earlier in the time frame of the show. Second big fight then of the season was Veronica versus Katie. We get a lot out of this one. Veronica is kind of the leader, the earliest leader, although it's a full team effort. Veronica does spearhead that effort to some degree of we need to get Katie off the team. If she's here for the final, that's going to be a real you know big loser. And so she throws multiple missions or she is the one that suggests throwing the mission. She kind of brings up the idea. And again, this is not all Veronica. Uh, Veronica just takes the brunt of Katie's ire for all of this, but uh, it is the entire team. Everyone, everyone is on board except for Kendall, who they kind of just don't tell from time to time when they're doing these things. But Veronica helps, you know, lead the throw one mission when it's uh, Katie. And the first time around it's Katie and someone else, 
that are up for nominations. Real World will never pick Katie to go into the Inferno because they want her there. They think she's not the best player too, and they think having a not good player on the other team is an advantage. So they're strategically like, we're never picking her. The only way you're going to get her is if the person who is in the elimination wins the lifesaver and then replaces themselves with Katie. They throw one mission to do just this. It causes a lot of drama. Katie's going at Veronica. She's going at everyone. She's very unhappy. She wins the elimination. She's back. Her and her team make nice. She starts performing quite well, to be honest. And they even recognize that she's performing quite well. She does well. They make it all the way to the end. And then the final elimination, it is Veronica who is going into the Inferno and Katie is the other nominee. Veronica then, without throwing the mission, just straight up wins and a mission where everyone tries their best. She wins the lifesaver and happily, gleefully throws Katie into the final Inferno in her place. Katie wins again, but this time when Katie wins, she comes back into the house and shit pops off. That is only that. That's sixty seconds of uh, of what is about three minutes worth of the two people, the two women yelling at each other. In some respect, um, then another minute or two on the front and back end of that of them, you know, getting worked up and then cooling down. Miz has to talk Katie down, literally like help her like breathe slower. Talks and he's like, "All right, you you literally have to sit here and time out. I'm gonna go get your purse that you say you don't go anywhere without." We're going to the club. We're leaving this house. We're just leaving in general, and you're not coming back here until you're better. Um, Veronica, for her part, couldn't care less. She just doesn't want Katie there. Um, And so they have that big blowout. That's not the only time of the season they kind of go at each other. They have words with each other, but certainly the biggest, loudest, um, nearly gets physical version of it. And got to say, you know, they're both standing up for each other. They're both saying some nasty shit to each other. So that's not great. Uh, this is the first season of the show where it's really, we'll talk a lot about it when we grade the full season, but this is the first version of the show where they get right up to that line of, you know, I'm not rooting for these people to do any of these things. I'm not, I don't want to root for them to say these things to each other, but also I'm very entertained by the drama and by the fighting and the arguing and the threats and the backstabbing and the conniving. And it's a weird thing to balance as a fan and as a viewer, like, this is really, really entertaining, but also these people are kind of acting nasty, but like, I love Veronica. Like I, I, Veronica is my, at this point in the show, she is my absolute number one favorite person on this show. And so even if she slings some bad insults, like I'm, I'm kind of like, ah, it's fine. Like I'm in, I'm very entertained by it. That's not going to affect my opinion in any sort of way. What else is going to happen in this house? And when Katie's saying some, you know, foul stuff back, I'm not, I'm not thinking anything of it at all. But you do have to find that balance while watching, and that balance is obviously something over the history of the show. 
that we've referenced before. It, it is that fine line that reality shows in general, and certainly the challenge has to walk between, you know, do I feel good about everything that's happening? No, certainly not. Are these you know, any good characteristics, good morals, anything of that nature being, you know, put on display? No, but is it absolutely entertaining? And is any of it actually over a line that I'm uncomfortable with? At this moment, in this in this instance, this season, no, not at all. It's, it's absolutely fantastically entertaining, um, and everyone's safe and you know comes out of it totally fine. And you know, some people don't like some people, and that's all great. Then we've you know we've walked up to that line. Um, in the future, if that line likely will, you know, we know we're obviously talking about this 18 years later. We know that line will uh, unfortunately be crossed a few times um, in the future, but this season they they walk it pretty. They walk it pretty tight and narrow. Um, they really nail it, uh, and it's it's entertaining. But it does have a weird feeling when you know we'll do the best moment or the most iconic moment award in a little bit, and none of the moments they're all super memorable. They're iconic in their own way. They're notorious in their own way, we should say. But they're not all the the most feel good, heartwarming moments that uh, earlier seasons of the show is usually a little more like what moments made us feel the best, you know? What some really good people doing some good things for each other on this, and all the nastiness is, you know, everyone it's only one person and everyone else is putting it down. This season, not so much. So we had Coral versus Julie, Veronica versus Katie, and then Leah versus CT as well. They come in, they'd had their issues on Real World Paris midway through the season. Uh, Leah has a panic attack during one of the heights challenge to bungee. They have to bungee jump in one time and she goes up, has a full blown panic attack. They end up taking her to the hospital. She has ongoing anxiety issues that triggered this. And they actually surprised me the, the show itself. Like, I wouldn't, I, I'd kind of forgotten this happened. And if you would have just told me, Hey, season eight, 2004 MTV challenge, uh, someone dealing with real anxiety issues has a full blown panic attack. How do you think they handle that? I'd be like, oh damn, uh, 2004 challenge MTV probably not, probably not great. They weren't super up to date on the whole mental health thing uh, then. Not that they would have been alone. And then like actually, they kind of handled it pretty well, um, production side for cer- certainly. And you know, Leah talks about it pretty openly and is really good and feel honestly feels like something that would be more on now where we're much more aware of those things. We're much a little more comfortable as a society and culture and talking about those things and supporting each other and acknowledging that damn near every one of us has struggles of that kind of whatever severity they may be, but they all deserve to be you know supported and everything. So it's actually really nice, except with the small exception of, uh, they do decide that after this happens, they're like, Hey, you know, uh, for a couple challenges in a row, Lee, there's heights again involved like immediately after. And these are in the days of the challenge where they're doing a challenge every day, if not every other day at the worst. And so for a couple days and a couple daily challenges, they're like, Leah, you're, we're not going to have you compete in this one. The, the doctor said, we're going to give you a little more time before we do this. Your team doesn't get penalized or anything for it, but you're just not competing, which leads to CT reverting back to he and Leah had gotten on better footing throughout this season but then he reverts back to she shouldn't be here. She's our weak link. She's not even able to compete in some of these. And so uh, I feel like she you know, doesn't deserve to be here the same way we do. And that's when they, as a real world team, scheme to throw a mission to get Leah into an inferno. And there's a big blow up between the two of them. And it leads to it's one part of a really nasty inferno um, that we will talk more about in a little bit. But those are the big fights. Fighting is a key storyline of the season. Next big storyline, romance. We will just 
brush through this as fast as we can. Um, but there is a lot of romance this season. Mike, the Miz, Mizanin, of course he is here. And of course that means he's going to have a girlfriend every single season he's on. He gets romantic with someone, you know, battle of the seasons. It was him and Tara, uh, battle or the, the gauntlet. It was him and Trishel. him and Trishel wet left that season. Boyfriend, girlfriend turns out the couple weeks they were back home between Telluride and Acapulco. Things didn't go so well. They decided to break up and they live in LA where the bunch of other MTV cast people, including Kendall, who is then on this season with Mike and Trichelle, lives. They're all buddies and friends. Everything's okay between Mike and Trichelle, but then they come on this season and Mike and Kendall have a little romance, uh, you know, flares up. Trichelle doesn't like it, but then Trichelle goes home. And so Mike and Kendall are like, okay, great. We don't even have that, you know, distraction or anyone being upset about seeing us do this. But then Mike gets a call from his best buddy at home who happens to be running buddies with Kendall. He claims that he and Kendall have something. Kendall later is like, what are you talking about? That's just my running buddy at the reunion. But Trichelle, the moment she leaves the show, taws all their friends back home that Mike and Kendall are hooking up left and right and they can't be separated, which at the time of the phone call and the time of Trichelle saying all this is not true. It would eventually become true, but it's not true at that moment. Mike and Kendall, they have a romance throughout the season then. Um, There's drama around it. It's just kind of status quo for Mike on the challenge at this point. There is a real nasty moment of that, which we will talk about when we talk about Kendall's performance in the Brick by Brick Elimination later during the awards. We have Leah and Darrell the whole season there. Uh, Darrell at one point says uh, pretty openly that he and Leah, you know, they're getting after it morning, night, afternoon, any old time of the day, multiple times a day, they're just spending all their all their time, not at a daily or not at an elimination. They're spending it together and having a good time and hooking up. And it's great. It's wonderful. Uh, they're both uh, pretty open the whole time. Darrell seems to be pretty open the whole time of like, this isn't anything serious. It's just, we're having fun. We like each other while we're here. When Leah has her you know, panic attack hospital episode, um, Darrell does realize like, oh, I actually do. I really care about this person. He's really sweet. In that moment, he you know steps up. He doesn't exactly know what to do. He lets Coral kind of handle being the supporter instantly, but then comes and says like, hey, I'm like, I'm not used to this and I'm glad Coral was there, uh, which is a really nice moment, a really vulnerable kind of open moment of like, no, you're going through something right now and you wanted me to support you, but like, I have no idea how to. And so like Coral was, so I let that happen. It's a very interesting moment. Then though, he does not support her uh, super well during the horrible brick by brick Inferno situation in which her and CT do a lot of yelling at each other. And that's, you know, that's when Leah ends up going home, but also when her and Darrell maybe stop being the thing because she confronts him about, you know, you didn't stand up for me. And his reasoning is, you know, you and CT having words. If I have words with anyone, I'm a boxer. I, I just go move to punching someone very, very quickly. If I was going to stand up for you, it was going to mean I was going to end up punching CT. And I didn't want to do that. I want to go home and I don't want to fight CT. Somewhat fair points from his part. It would be nice if he could stand up uh, for her without punching someone or just could stand up for anyone in general without punching someone, something I think he's more than capable of now, but then uh, coming off, you know, very high-ranked amateur boxer at the time. We get it. They they fizzle out, but is fun and cute while it lasts. Maybe we find out at the reunion, David and Veronica maybe had a little thing going, but we never see anything about it. And then we also find out at the reunion that maybe everyone on the cast, guy, gal, Every single person there was trying to see Coral's boobs. Just Coral's boobs were a topic of conversation quite 
throughout the entire season from the for the entire cast, um, it seems. So that was also a funny little video that they showed of never before seen footage from the reunion. But romance was everywhere. And then we've got two other storylines to get through here. Maybe the biggest uh, story really of the season for me, what, you know, there's a few moments, some we've already mentioned, some we will mention soon enough, uh, that will be the most memorable things from this season because they're some of the most memorable moments in the history of the show. But when I think of the Inferno, the first thing I will think of is these eliminations are weird as fuck. They are so strange. It is... They, they're really going for the the kind of horror show, creepy, disgusting endurance theme. That is, it's kind of the creepy, disgusting endurance theme um, is uh, with a little dash of torturous vibe thrown in. They they really build the, the, uh, the arena, the inferno itself. You know, you walk down in, they comment multiple times how hot it is down in this room. They got all these bright red lights going. And they really make it out to be, you know, this fiery, flamey, hell-like area that they go down to to do these eliminations. And every elimination they do is fucking weird. It is so strange. It doesn't doesn't match really anything we see from any other seasons. You know, there's individual eliminations like this spotted throughout the history of the show, but there is never a collection of eliminations like this. Let me quickly just run through all eight of the eliminations, what they had to do for these eliminations. And again, all endurance-based, if you will. So the first one is called Bug Helmet. Jeremy and Ace play it. Jeremy beats Ace. Bug Helmet is where you cover your head in syrup, and then you put your head in a tank full of crickets and hissing cockroaches, and whoever can hold their head there the longest wins. That one does not last long at all, as Ace just immediately is like, no, fuck this, and runs and jumps in the pool, gets it all off his head, and just pieces out. So that's pretty weird, I would say. A little, you know, I guess the easiest comp for this, it's very Fear Factor-esque, a lot of these are. That's that's a great comp, which at the time, I believe, without looking up right now, and don't want to pause this to look up, a Fear Factor going strong, uh, Big Presence, uh, another competition reality show I guess I could have mentioned in the beginning and kind of the state of the challenge in the reality television world, but that's a good comp for these. Very, very uh, Fear Factor-based. So first one, Bug Helmet, that's that. Second one, then, is called Chili Counter, which Holly beats Trishel in a game where it's just you have one hour to eat as many super hot chili peppers as you can. You can drink as much milk as you want with it, but you have to eat as many hot, hot chili peppers as possible in one hour. Horrifying. Third one, then, is the only one that's kind of makes sense. It's the only one that adds a real physical element in any way, and that is Human Candelabra, where Mike beats Jeremy. They have to hold burning candles out at shoulder height while it melts, and they can't drop it below shoulder height. First to do that loses, and if they hold it long enough, that candle wax is going to slowly drip down on their hands. They don't. They actually uh, don't get to that level. Um, Again, the only one that's really physical-based at any, but it's still an endurance physical base. It's who can hold their arms out the longest, basically. And then we get to all of the very, very long ones because after Human Candelabra, then we have Noise Pollution, which is truly horrific and torturous and and so dumb and boring and is a huge miss from a production standpoint. But that is where poor Christina and Mallory have to stand and put headphones on and listen to random horrible sirens and noises and babies wailing in their headphones at loud, loud volumes for three and a half hours. And then if they all make, they both make it, which they do at the end of three and a half hours, they have to do the same thing, but standing on one foot on a little peg and whoever falls over first loses. 
That's pretty horrible. Then there is don't toss your cookies. CT steps in and beats Shane where they have to eat one cookie, drink a glass of milk, then sit for 10 minutes on a spinning chair, then two cookies, two milk, spinning chair over and over until someone throws up. Shane throws up pretty quickly in the second round or so, but a very strange one again. Then there is scratchathon. Katie beats Julie in walking on a treadmill for three and a half hours with itching powder put on your skin by the opposing team and then a tracksuit over it. Then just walk on a treadmill for three and a half hours while your body itches like crazy. They eventually both make it three and a half hours. So they go to the tiebreaker where it's who can jump rope the longest and Katie wins that. Then we have brick by brick uh, elimination. We'll talk a lot about in a few minutes, but carry one brick at a time across the plank and put it in a new stack on the other side for three and a half hours. One brick at a time, not multiple bricks, one at a time. You drop a brick, you lose, which one of them should have just dropped a brick so that it could be over. But three and a half hours of two people walking back and forth, one brick at a time, 12 feet from one pile to the other. They move like 400 and some bricks or something like that. It's insane and silly and weird. And then finally, Smell you later, the worst of them all. Katie beats David in sitting for four hours in a tank full of fish heads, rotten eggs, uh, cow tongues, and livers, amongst other disgusting, disgusting things that are poured into them. Every half hour, something new disgusting is poured in. They sit for four hours. They both make it for all four hours, and then they have to hold their breath in that disgusting tank. Whoever holds it longest wins. Those are your endurance, fear factor-esque, creepy, horrific, torturous at times eliminations that are played this season. It's so weird. It's so strange. It's a huge miss from the show. It's the biggest the biggest negative, uh, the biggest con of this entire season is that these eliminations are so weird and all, you know, there's a lot of interesting storylines of them because of who's in them or who's facing each other, or who wins, a couple upsets. But the actual, the games themselves are not interesting. Like, it's not interesting to watch Kendall and Leah carry bricks for three and a half hours. It's not interesting to watch two people just sit in a disgusting vat of stuff for, you know, three and a half hours. It's not interesting to watch Katie and Julie walk on a treadmill for three hours, four hours, whatever it is. Or two people listen to noise for four hours. It's not interesting. Um, so it's the biggest miss of the season. And the other reason it's a huge miss, which probably worked out in their favor, is that the whole time everyone's drinking. Uh, all of these, you know, are six of these eight of them are guaranteed to last three to four hours, if not longer. And everyone in the cast that's not participating is just chilling, drinking. So they're sitting in a very hot environment, just chugging drinks. They go up to the house and refill as often as they want. And that leads to some really nasty moments and fights and things, which, you know, the show is hoping for, but it's not a great look when it's just people sitting for four hours drinking in a hot environment. Some people are sleeping constantly. Abe takes naps all the time in the Inferno. Two or three different Infernos, you, he can be found just laying down, taking a nap. Like, I'm just not, what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to be entertaining for the camera for four hours when these two people are just walking on a treadmill? What do you want from me? So, elimination is very weird. It's a big storyline of the season. And then the final storyline before we head into the awards to talk about some of the, the most memorable of moments and quotes and performances and things of that nature is the specials were the best specials ever. Uh, I say it with a question mark, but also definitively. I thought I was going to say it with a question mark, but now I'm saying it definitively. I don't even have to really think through. I can't remember any time that they did such a good job on the reunion and other specials around the show. Uh, the reunions are, I'm just really over the course of the challenge history, I'm not a super big fan. I don't think most of them are ever very 
interesting or good or all that necessary in any way. And oftentimes some of the specials that they do, and especially in this era of the show, like the special they did before Battle of the Sexes, uh, I found not very interesting at all. Um, and not, you know, didn't, don't really need to do it. Don't even think I mentioned it on the podcast about it. Cause it was just kind of like, yeah, yeah, that was there. This one, however, three of them, as we said previously, and they're all really good. Uh, the first one, the battle scars from the gauntlet to the inferno worked so well and was so great to set up the season and connect the two seasons. And it works even better knowing that they literally had these back to back. And so it was like, Hey, this show ended last week. This is everything that happened. Those last, you know, you've been watching for 15 weeks on that show. All this happened. Let's recap it. Now let's preview what's about to happen on these next 15 weeks on this show. It's really, really good. And, you know, it's better than a reunion for the gauntlet in some respects. I would have liked some maybe more commentary from the gauntlet people as kind of like a mini reunion segments thrown in. But, you know, that's, you know, picking straws there. Um, also, the fact that it aired, you know, the week after the final, we just said that. Uh, just keeps things right on running. But I really, really liked that special. And then the end of season pre-finale recap, the final burn special, where they recap everything that's happened in the first 15 episodes and get you set up for the final two-part, 40-minute, two-episode, one-episode, however you want to look at it, finale episode. That one was really, really good. Um, and it was really helpful for... Hey, if you tuned out at some point, if you haven't cut, caught every episode, here's just what you need to know about the cast of characters that are left going into this final. And then the reunion. The reunion is really, really good. Lala is a really good host. Um, at that time, she's you know firmly in the MTV world as an MTV DJ, VJ. I think they call it VJ, whatever at the time. Whatever it was. Lala, great host. Ask the right questions. It's a tight 20 minutes. There's not a lot of fluff. Every question has a, a real purpose to it actually gets to something interesting we played the one clip from it before and we mentioned before the only negative about the reunion at all is it's only the cast from that made it to the final and so when they're you know talking about julie or they're talking about trichelle it's a little tough but it is nice to see a cyrus uh great guy cyrus stepping up and kind of defending julie a little bit for like hey let's remember like where julie came from and that the fact she's literally grown up and come out of this one very odd world into the odd world of the challenge and grown up on TV in front of us. And that's, you know, an influence and she's great. And I like her great moment from him. Katie steps in and, and makes everyone stop talking when they're starting to talk bad about Trishel. She's like, that's my best friend. She lives with me. She's not here to defend herself. So we're all going to shut the hell up and move on now. And Lala respectfully and smartly is like, that's a good answer. Let's move on to the next thing. Reunion's good. Final burn's good. Battle scars is good. Best specials they've ever done. Uh, I've said over and over and over, I think every single season should do an episode zero that is just everyone getting to the house in a where are they now, catch us up, no dailies, no elimination, no nothing, just everyone at the house, night one party, show us everything that you can from that night. Um, and so, but in lieu of that, we're way, we're way far out from ever having any of those appear. These three specials were as good as it got. Time to hand out some hardware. We've got a bunch of awards to go through, and uh, talking through these awards will allow us to also talk through some of the unbelievable moments from this season of The Inferno that we haven't yet touched on. We will start a little different order for our awards for this episode, a little an order that makes a little bit more sense, if you will. We're going to start with the best daily challenge. There's four of them I just want to comment on. Um, and one of them that, of course, we haven't commented on yet, and so we will now, if you've been waiting for it, arguably one of the most uh, memorable moments in the history of the show, that is the Grope the Rope Daily Challenge, episode one, 
where Julie tries to kill Veronica. Um, they have to. The challenge is they're at uh, two very tall buildings. I don't know, 30 stories tall, whatever. They're 22, I believe, stories up at this. And they're at a balcony, and they're about you know 50 feet, I don't know how, 50, 60 feet away from a balcony on another side. And they've got uh, you know a, a line set up, and you slide down. You're in a little harness. You slide out, zipline style, halfway down. And when you get to the halfway point, it stops. You get out of your harness and use your hands and feet and crawl along, shimmy along, however you can get yourself along the rest of the, the line to the other balcony. And you are attached at all times. Very important, you are attached by a safety bungee harness so that if and inevitably when some of the people can't hold themselves up with their hand and feet to shimmy across this line, if you fall, you do a, a short bungee. It's not a, like you fall hundreds of feet because you would swing and hit the building. It's not where it's like a 10 foot, like you fall and then boom, you, you catch, but it's very scary. And it's very important that we mentioned that they have that little safety bungee and that the first 50%, you're in a harness itself. You're sitting in like a little a little swing-like harness that slides out to the 50% park. Then you're supposed to crawl out and do the rest of it on your own. Julian Veronica is is the whole story here. Um, nothing else is a story. Julian Veronica go almost last, not quite last, but almost last. They are up against each other. And the other rule of this daily challenge is that what at any point you are allowed to using your hands only, not your feet, but you are allowed to push or try to pull your opponent off of their line to give them a DQ. You are allowed to do that. You are allowed to push or pull the person themselves off. You're not necessarily supposed to mess with any, you know, things like the safety harness. But Julie and Veronica go, they're near the end. And being near the end, that means that they kind of know where the team's average scores are at and real world's way behind. They've had a disqualification. Road rules has not. So Julie is told beforehand, hey, whatever you got to do, you got to get Veronica off of that. You got to knock her down. You got to grab her. You got to pull her off. You got to get her to DQ and you can't. That's the only way we have a chance here. So she goes up with the mindset, I'm going to get this chick off. No doubt in my mind. So they go out in the little harness, the swing. Julie starts pulling on her. And eventually, Dave Muir, no one will, Veronica's like, I'm not even going to get out of the little swing thing because Julie's just trying to get me off. I'm happy with both of us DQing. There is a time limit. So she's like, if I just sit here, we'll both DQ and that's fine by me. It's, it's equal. So, you know, standing, stay where they are. Dave Mira blows a horn and says, hey, you have one minute to get out of the harness and actually try to get over here right now. And at that point is when Julie decides to do anything, literally anything to get Veronica out, including grabbing the safety harness. You guys have one minute to get back over here. So start racing. Go. You clearly could see Julie grabbing the safety harness, yanking it, and you got about 10 people on the porch screaming. Don't touch the safety harness! What are you doing? What are you doing? What is she doing? To get her down. I mean, that's just the nature of the game. I have nothing against the girl, but I'm going to try and win. It's $10,000. Veronica, I don't hate you, baby. I was just trying to win. Shut the f up. I would not have taken your cord off. I couldn't have if I wanted to. You know that's true. Shut the f up. All-time shocking moment. All-time scary moment. 
Veronica has every right to be like, I'm about to die here. She is yanking on the safety bungee harness, the, trying to unclip or take off the only thing saving me from falling 22 stories to my death up here. What is going on? It's a, it's a moment that lives in challenge history forever. It is easily recognizable and memorable and, you know, for not great reasons, given that one person was, while not trying to murder them necessarily, it was, you know, if they would have succeeded in the thing they were kind of trying to do, the end result very well probably would Veronica falling. Um, so thankfully, those safety lines, good job production, your safety apparatus is so secure that challengers can't figure out how to undo it even if they wanted to try to take someone else out of the game literally and out of life so that's a huge moment it's unbelievable um you know it's it's way 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 up there in iconic moments it'll come up again when we talk that category but as far as daily challenge goes it makes for an incredibly memorable daily challenge so that's nominee number one for best daily challenge grow up the rope second nominee wreck and roll episode three this one they asked two teams yellow card is there yellow card is the band Great band. I love them. Ocean Avenue, fantastic song. Always loved that song growing up as a little emo punk teenager that I was. Yellow Card sings the uh, theme song to this uh, season, which actually isn't a theme song. It's just a song of Yellow Cards that they use as the opening credits song. But they also bring Yellow Card in to play one of their at the time hit songs as a timer while the two teams get to smash a hotel room. They give both teams a fake hotel room that they've built out. Two people for each team actually get to use guitars to smash, have to use guitars to smash stuff. Everyone all at the same time for the length of about three and a half minutes of time that Yellow Card is jamming out to one of their hit songs. They get to smash everything in the room and take everything they smash. They have to smash it small enough to get it to put in these little holes into these big containers. The most weight in wins. It is a hell of a good time. I'm a little biased because I actually like the Yellow Card song that they're playing, so I'm like jamming out. And it just looks like so much fun. They all get to just smash, 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 three and a half minutes all out. Crazy. They, you know, living out the dream of, they, you know, put it forward as, you know, you're the rock star who trashes the hotel room, just is all out, out of control, crazy, good time. It looks fun. It's so, it's one of the most competitive of the daily challenges of the season, which is, you know, asking a lot this season. Um, and it's really, really fun all around. Everything about it's great. Then there's Come Sail Away, episode nine, the third nominee. This one is, has to be mentioned, this is where Dave Muir shows up. They take he takes them. They're posted up outside of a cruise. The cruise has pulled and docked and you know ported in Acapulco, and they're outside the cruise ship. And, he, and Dave's like, "All right, this cruise ship is here for you know the day for like ten hours, and here's a hundred random, really weird items: car batteries, pinatas, hats, bikinis." Uh, noisemakers, children's toys, bubbles, all kinds of just weird, eclectic, random stuff. And the two teams have to, one at a time, take things from the table to build their inventory out. And then they get three and a half hours to sell the inventory they've built out and make as much money as possible. So they're street vendors. There's uh, They create their own little street market, street vendors. And this has a moment where CT puts on a pink bikini, has Timmy being hilarious in his little clown get up saying that these, you know, hangers belong to famous actors or this belongs to this person and lying out of his teeth to try to sell stuff. 
all of them, it's very comedic, it's very fun, it's very weird and silly. It is one of the peak moments of like, remember when the challenge was just super silly carnival-like games? Like, hey, why do you guys are street vendors with shit in for inventory? How would that work? How would that be for television? It's pretty good. It's really funny. It's nominated for Best Daily Challenge. And then the fourth and final one is Bungee Bound, which is a Houdini-style bungee jump. They have to bungee jump about 160 feet, and their hands are clipped together behind their back by three carabiners. And the goal is the moment they jump, they are allowed to start trying to unclip themselves from the three carabiners. Once they have unclipped fully, releasing themselves from the handcuffs, they take a flag out of their chest pocket and throw it, and that stops their time. So it's kind of like a legitimate like little you know, magic trick, escape trick type thing. And it's really fun, and the bungee jumps are always really interesting. And then it also has the interesting subplot of Leah having her panic attack and you know learning a little bit about that situation. And so everything about it, very, very good. So those are your four best daily challenge nominees. But as this award is for the best daily challenge, not the daily challenge that has the greatest moment or most memorable moment within it, I'm going to go with the actual best daily challenge is episodes three, Wreck and Roll. If I could pick any of these to get to do, as I always like to say, Buna Murray, Paramount, build me the amusement park where I can do challenge games, survivor games with my friends, This is the one I would want to do the most. Rack and Roll gets the win for the best daily challenge. Next up, we have the best elimination of the season. Second season now that we're able to have this award. Three nominees. Now, we told you what all of these eliminations were beforehand, but now we'll actually talk a little bit about what happens in each of them and why they're memorable and why they're nominated for the best of the eight eliminations that we get this season. First one is Don't Toss Your Cookies, episode 10, CT versus Shane. Uh, the eating the cookies, they have to eat uh, eat a cookie and glass of milk, sit for 10 minutes on spinning chair, eat two, drink two, spinning chair, and continue on and up. It doesn't get past the second round. Shane throws up and loses, but CT steps in for, uh, for David during it. We find out throughout the season, David and CT grew up together. Their moms were really good friends in Boston, and they both ended up on Real World on different seasons. Now they're here. They have a nice bond throughout the season. David's going in, he's a little worried about it, and he doesn't love to eat necessarily, even if it's cookies and milk. CT knows that, so CT steps in for him, and when he does, it's kind of an iconic moment, early moment for CT, one of his really only big moments of the season, honestly. Uh, he's got the shades on, this pink shirt. He's uh, He had given his clothes to David and was wearing some of David's clothes, actually. And Shane admits that in the moment, the moment that David is out and CT's in, he goes from confident to intimidated. And I just can't chance on losing him, so I'm gonna have to step up. That's a man! That's a man! Bye, Shane! I'm not afraid of David, but I have a lot of trepidation facing CT. I hate to admit it, but CT intimidates me. Somebody vomits. I know CT knows he intimidates me when CT stepped in, and you know, I was just like, you you for up my game. Appreciate the honesty from Shane because on yeah, anyone that says they're not intimidated by CT, especially at this time uh, frame, you're you're lying to yourself and to all of us. Uh, so CT beats him. It's it's there's comedy within it. There's you know it's it's CT having a moment in his first season. So the whole thing and it's kind of one of the least like torturous of the elimination. So it's nominated for sure. Then we've got Scratchathon. 
Katie versus Julie in the put scratching or itching powder all over your body, tracksuit on, walk on a treadmill for three and a half hours, and then ends up coming down to a tiebreaker. They have to jump rope versus each other. Julie's all confident. She's like, oh, I can jump rope for hours. I jumped rope all the time as a kid. This is no problem. She's stretching her rope out, getting it nice and fit. Katie seems like, I don't really know exactly how to do this that well. She's doing the whole two-foot top. They both practice for a second, and you immediately in the practice, you're like, oh, this is can Katie jump rope for three seconds? Like Julie looks like she's a professional. And then suddenly they say go. And uh, Julie falters about 10 seconds in and Katie's just going strong and Katie wins. And it's a big upset. And it leads to the beginnings of the real fights between Katie and her team. It's an interesting elimination because both teams are rooting for the opposite person. Real world wants Julie gone. They're rooting for Katie. Road rules wants Katie gone. They're rooting for Julie. Both Julie and Katie kind of hate their teams at this point. So there's a lot going on during this very weird of all of the weird eliminations. And then the third and final one nominated is the brick by brick elimination. And we will... We're going to postpone talking about it here because we're going to talk about it again in a moment. So brick by brick, Kendall beats Leah. She steps in for Timmy to do so. We'll talk about it more in a second because it's it's very ugly, but the ugliness leads to a very bright spot for Kendall and an unbelievable performance, which will be nominated for best athletic performance, which is next, but right now does not win the best elimination because the best elimination of the season, if I had to rewatch one over and over, the one I was most entertained by, the one that was kind of the most interesting, every had all the elements you would want um, in this season of weird eliminations. The best one was don't toss your cookies, CT stepping in, beating Shane in the cookie milk spin around uh, you know, elimination that was. As for the best athletic performance of the season, um, with the eliminations being what they were, there was, you know, a little less ability for, you know, true athletic performance of the season, but there was plenty of room, even in still in some of the eliminations, as we'll see, and in the daily challenges for certain. First nominee in chronological order here is going to be Veronica Queen V, plus we'll, uh, we'll add in bonus Abram and Kendall. Um, in the Don't Yank My Chain Episodes 8 Dailies Challenge, where Veronica goes four hours and 40 minutes holding her hands above her head. That daily challenge, everyone holds their hand above their head. If you drop it, it releases a bucket of one of a possible three or four different gross nacho ingredients, either cheese or sour cream or guacamole that had been sitting in a bucket for hours out in the hot Mexico sun. Um, and you dump that on not your own head, but the person next to you's head possibly messing them up. And it goes for like three and a half hours and it's three people left, Veronica, Abram, Kendall from Road Rules and just Mike from Real World. Mike drops and then we don't see the rest of it, but we were just shown that Veronica goes a full four hours and 40 minutes to win the Lifesaver. I'm guessing that means either Abram or Kendall went like one second before her. But either way, Veronica, best athletic performance with a shout out to Abram and Kendall right there along with her. Second one, speaking of Abram, Abram for Twist and Shoot Daily Challenge Episode 11. Uh, they have to stand on top of a platform about 25 feet or so up in the air. The platform spins in a circle. They're holding a paintball gun. And as they spin, there's a row of targets with everyone from the cast face on it that they have to try to shoot. And they get 30 shots or until they fall off the spinning thing to shoot as much as they want, hit as many targets as they want. Every target they hit is worth 10 points. The first round through, everyone goes through once. Abram gets 11. The next closest is Cyrus at six. 
and or at nine, and then the next closest is six, and then four. So Abrams 11 is far and away the best. And then it comes to a tiebreaker where Abram gets a penalty, a five make penalty, but is able to get 10 again versus five for the person he's going against in the tiebreaker to extend it yet again. So he gets 11 and then 10. The most anyone else ever got was nine and then six and then five. So by far and away, just he makes it look very easy, which honestly, it's one that I'm kind of like, he makes it look very easy because it seems like it actually could be easy if you just like get a good stance and try to have any sort of balance, but that is nominated. Then we've got Kendall. This is what we've been meaning to talk about here a couple different times. We brought up the brick by brick elimination. Now we'll explain the full, the full thing of it. We touched a little before Kendall, Mike, they have a relationship brick by brick gets really ugly for a lot of reasons. This is why Kendall and brick by brick three and a half hours of her and Leah walking bricks from one pile across a decently wide balance. It's not like a balance beam, but it's about a foot wide, but it's enough that you could fall off. You have to be careful. Um, walk across this beam to 15 feet away and repile your bricks. One by one, you drop a brick, you lose, just it's over. Otherwise, who can transfer the most in three and a half hours, which is just a very odd, physically demanding endurance <laughs> challenge to do in an elimination. One of the many, like, why does this have to be three and a half hours long? Why couldn't this be 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, like they could run, who knows. Um, but the reason this performance is so, so impressive is not just because she moves like 450 bricks or something like that in these three and a half hours, just constantly walking at a quick pace, pick up, put down, pick up, put down, pass, back, 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 back. But she goes in and during the daily challenge preceding this, she is the only one on her team that does not know that the entire team plans on throwing the mission to make sure that Timmy, who is in the Inferno that night, gets the lifesaver and is able to throw in Katie. They don't tell Kendall. So Kendall doesn't know, and Kendall goes full blow on the valet ballet, Saturn valet ballet daily challenge. She wins it. She just narrowly beats Timmy, and then they all get pissed at her. They're like, what the hell, Kendall? Timmy was supposed to get that. We didn't tell you that, but you're just supposed to know that. You're not supposed to beat him. So now she has the lifesaver. On the other side, uh, CT wins their lifesaver on the same way and throws in Leah, and they get there, and Kendall beforehand is talking to Mike, who her they have a relationship going in. They've been hanging out. They've been cuddling. They've been kissing. They're they're together for all intents and purposes, and it's real great. It's real cute. It seems real nice. They both are really liking each other, and he tells her beforehand, you cannot throw yourself in for Timmy. Kendall, always, forever, still today in the All-Stars world, so nice, so sweet, such a wonderful person, probably too nice to be on this show, and this was the defining moment where she even showed it way back in 2004. She wins this on accident. She has no business going into the elimination. And also, once they get there, it's Timmy versus Leah. And respectfully, it, there's some physical component to it. And it's like, dude, Timmy's Timmy's going to wipe the floor. What, what, what do you have to save him for? But Mike tells her ahead of time, if you throw yourself in, we're done. I, I can't. You can't do that. You got to be selfish. Don't throw yourself in. It seems weird that it's like such a big deal to him. I get that it's like you could go home and I don't want you to go home. So like, don't do that. But he's very aggressive about like, you cannot do this. Why would you do that? Do not do it or else we're over. I'll be mad at you. Kendall in the moment doesn't know what to do. Dave's like, you going to use it or is it Timmy? And out of nowhere, she's like, I'm going to step in. I'm going to do it. Everyone's stunned. She goes in and right away as it starts, she kind of makes a joke. She tries to a, a very fun flirty joke to Mike. She, the, Literally 10 seconds in, she carries her first brick and she says something to the effect of like, Mike, you, you know what? You remind me of these bricks. 
And he responds with, I don't want to talk to you right now. And she's like, oh, come on. You remind me of these bricks. You want to know why? And then she throws a great cheesy, because I want to lay you in there. It's very funny. Great, great uh, parent joke there coming from Kendall. But Mike then just goes off. He gets so mad, calls her a liar. And this is where the whole letting them sit there for three and a half hours drinking goes really off the rails because Mike goes completely off the rails for no reason. He's just yelling. He's berating. He's talking all this shit. He's rooting for Leah. And he's just, it's its really, it's really ugly. And it's really weird because it's strange. It's like, I, she's, she threw herself in. So your girlfriend could maybe go home, but like she's openly winning. It's not like that big of a deal. And like, what's it ultimately matter to you if she goes in or not goes in? Like she didn't backstab you in any way. She's still going to, you know, you guys want Leah to lose. She's still probably going to beat Leah. So she's, you're probably still going to get what you wanted. What's the deal here? And it's just, it's a strange moment, but throughout the whole thing, those two end up, Kendall's so composed, so calm, so poised during all of it. She just tunes it out, ignores it, doesn't let it get to her. Then Leah and CT start going at it. Then Veronica and Katie start going at it. Then Abe just gets pissed at everyone being pissed at everyone. And he's yelling and he storms out. Everyone's drunk. Everyone's angry. Everyone's hot and sweaty. All this is going on. And Kendall just blocks all of it out. And so the both physical element of carrying all these bricks, 450 or whatever, for three and a half hours, also keeping her balance, moving at a good pace, kicking ass physically, but also just mentally being able to be like, what the fuck is going on around me? Why is my boyfriend getting all pissed at right now? What is, what is this? He's berating me. He's being so rude, so mean, so just unconsciously stupid and just block it all out, zone in, win this for three and a half hours. It's incredible mental, physical performance. The whole thing goes through a lot in those three and a half hours and comes out shining like the star she is. That's the third nominee. Fourth nominee for the best athletic performance then is joint nominee Coral and Veronica window washing daily challenge episode 15 final daily challenge of the season everyone trying their best Coral and Veronica up for elimination both need the lifesavers to save themselves from that final elimination and they both get it they go together very good job on the producers by putting these two together for the run they both go together they have to uh repel they're on like a little window washing unit and they have to drop down uh Three stories at a time. Every third story, there is a little a number on a window that they have to memorize that number. They see six of them. When they get to the bottom, they use those six numbers to unlock a lock. And when the locks open, their time is done. Core and Veronica both set the best time for their team. Both win the lifesavers, again, in a challenge that they all the teams weren't trying to throw, which was a common theme. Everyone tried their best. Those two get the win in, when they need it. Get out of the inferno. Celebrate accordingly. Piss off team members accordingly in having to throw in a David and a Katie. But it's amazing. It's great. It's clutch. Um, so Cor and Veronica, they get a nomination for that. Abram for his twisted shoot. Veronica plus Abram and Kendall for the don't yank my chain. But it is Kendall in the brick by brick elimination that wins the best athletic performance for just having to go through what she went through and shining so well and having the composure and the poise to perform in that atmosphere. It's hot. You got a bunch of drunk idiots yelling at each other and at you. You got a boyfriend. So you thought a guy you were kind of treating like your boyfriend yelling at you for literally no reason at all. All kinds of nasty, horrible stuff. And meanwhile, you've got to go head to head versus uh, someone you're friendly with. And for three and a half hours of focus and concentration and output during that, it's the best athletic performance of the season, hands down. Then we've got the easiest award of the season. The best quote. Normally, best quote of the season, we'd, we'd play you, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, as many 
quotes, great quotes, as we thought deserved to be mentioned and to be played here on this podcast from the season, but it would be straight up disrespectful to even act like there's nominees outside of the one you've already heard. Coral, I don't wrestle. I fucking beat bitches up. She says it better than I do. Let's listen to her say it one more time. She wants to fight me in the grass. Uh, give me a f- break, Coral. She wants to wrestle you in the grass. Go upstairs. She wants to hit me? No, she wants to wrestle you. I don't wrestle. I f- beat bitches no. up. I'm going That is obviously the award winner for the best quote of the season. It may be the best quote in the history of the challenge. It's certainly up there. I will do that bracket after I've done all the seasons. That'll be fun. This will be a top seed in that bracket. And honestly, uh, if I was uh, going to be disrespectful enough to even say another quote, it literally might be the runner-up quote of the season might be the thing Coral says immediately after it. Uh, As I mentioned before, her boobs are a constant uh, topic of discussion in the house, and she even herself is using them in uh, in conversation just generally and does so in reference to this possible fight. So let's just, just to hear Coral talking some more, talking some shit, let's give one more little quote shout out to her, shall we? And just I'm gonna just I'm gonna sit here. Julie challenged me to a duel. I wear a 32 double D bra. One boob alone could kick her ass. Why is this happening? So yeah, Coral, best quote of the season, hands down. Second time uh, in her challenge career now that she will also be getting the confessional queen, the Dan Renzi award for confessional king or queen of the season. Coral, two-time winner now of that esteemed, esteemed award. Next up, the big, one of the big, big categories here, iconic moment. Now, and previously we've said best moment. We're going to change that to iconic moment, and we're going to do kind of a two-tier thing here. We are going to name the most iconic moment of the season, and why I change it to iconic versus best is what I was talking about earlier in this podcast, hours ago, as it may have been at this point, but yeah, some of these moments, uh, they're not exactly heartwarming. Uh, they're not exactly great characteristics, great morals put on display. Some of them are scary. People trying to kill other people, potentially. People talking shit. People fighting this, that, and the other. Nasty, ugly stuff going on. But entertaining, uh, memorable, iconic, notorious, if you will, moments. So that's what we're really trying to award here. But we're also going to start it off with quickly the not some small moments we're going to call this the smaller fun moments that get honorable mention but are certainly nowhere near big enough or memorable enough to be an iconic moment nominee but just to warn through them really quickly just to give little shout outs to little things that happen throughout the season we got Darrell anytime he wears his teeth and his hair throughout the season he comes literally comes off the boat at the beginning of this wearing these fake teeth that look all gnarly he's got his afro and his glasses on and he's talking in a, I don't know exactly what accent he's going for, but he's just talking a different way when his teeth are in and his afro's on. He's a different person. He's a funny person. He's always trying to be a funny guy, and he is a funny guy. It's very funny and entertaining throughout. Uh, he we, you probably 10 times throughout the season see moments where the teeth are in, the afro's on, the glasses are on. Anytime he's wearing his outfit is great. Then another small moment, Mike versus Abram in The Climbing Wall, episode four. Uh, Mike and Abram have, you know, a nice little pass from the gauntlet now where they went, you know, they wrestled in the house, Miz versus Mini Miz. Then they went to get faced off in the gauntlet and Mike got the best of him. In this one, they end up, there's one 
daily competition that is a climbing wall over water. They two people at the same time climb either side of it, and Mike and Abram get matched up. They get to go head to head. Uh, Abram wins this round of Mike or of Miz versus Mini Miz, and when he gets to the top, he can look over and see Mike down the other side and. Last season, when Mike beat him, his whole team got around him and did a little, who's a big winner? Who's a big winner around Mike? That was funny, but also interesting that that was what they went for. So Abram gets to the top of the wall and yells down, who's the big winner this time, Mike? And it's very funny and very fun to see that that little friendly rivalry continuing on between them. Then we have David leading a power aerobics class. He and Holly are getting a workout in. He decides to go full power aerobics class. Um, and lead Holly and anyone else who wants to pay attention in a little goofy aerobics class that is just absolutely great. It's just a lot better than going to work every day. I should, without a doubt, continue and enjoy every day I have. Right. I got this one as a James Bond workout. <laughs> Come on, girls. Okay. Push ups. Won't we be a power aerobics instructor? <laughs> <laughs> you me, I'll, I'll call myself is Vlad. <laughs> We're squatting. <laughs> Come on, ladies. You're sick of having flabby ass. Ready? Well, I'll put it straight. I'm here for a good time. I guess my motivation for this challenge was Acapulco, paid vacation, suntan. That's pretty much it. When it comes to competition, I'm just going to take it as it goes. David is a great guy, but the only problem is he's been kind of uh, lackadaisical lately. You ready? Let's go. We're kicking. <laughs> to have David here, it's it's a comfort. My mother was really good friends with his mother. Like we grew up together. He does little things that make him look weak to everybody else. The kid's legit. He's one of our best players. Loved everything about David this season. David is one of my kind of underrated. Uh, only did a couple seasons, but I just really enjoyed his presence on all the seasons he did. Didn't always give the biggest effort on this season. That was a thing with him through in his team that he maybe didn't always. He literally took a nap during the little the the come sail away daily challenge where they had to sell you know street vendor style sell some stuff. He takes a nap in a chair during that. He might be the only person to ever take a full blown nap during a daily challenge that he's actively supposed to be participating in. But love the power aerobics. Love David on this season. Then we got Katie borrowing Timmy's Bengay cream by mistake. She thinks she's using Timmy's deodorant. Turns out it's maybe not deodorant. But I said I didn't feel like it right now. This is um, Timmy's deodorant, which I will use because he likes to use my razor to shave his face. <laughs> That's how disgusting we are. Yeah. <gasps> is that deodorant? What is that? Oh my God, it burns. I don't think it is. I don't think it is. What is that? Read it. Understand it. <laughs> ultra heat. Oh my god, my armpits are on fire. And why do they make it look like deodorant in Spanish? It burns. I hate Mexico! That moment is just is a hilarious moment, and of all the moments Katie has in this show, you know, it's a very small one, uh, not as memorable as some of the shouting matches and the elimination wins, but 
one I love regardless. And then the other little moment to shout out is Timmy at the reunion asking for donations. We played it for you earlier. We're not going to play it again, but uh, that that's very funny. So those are some of the smaller fun moments. But now let's talk the four true nominees for the iconic, the best, the most memorable moment of the season. I believe we've talked about all of these so far. So we've got Julie tries to kill Veronica, episode one. We talked about that, uh, you know, at length. So we don't got to go through that again. We've got Julie wanting to wrestle. Uh, uh, I have Veronica written down on accident. <laughs> Obviously, wants to wrestle Coral, which leads to the quote, which turns into Julie pissing on Coral's bed, which. Again, uh, can't believe they didn't show that in the actual episode. If they would have showed the peeing on the bed portion in the episode itself, this moment might win this award for the most iconic moment, but because it was two parts separated, it doesn't, but it is nominated Julie versus Coral. Third nominee then, Katie versus Veronica. We talked about that at length. We played a little snippet of it for you. Katie's won. She's in the final. Her hatred for Veronica boils over. Epic screening match ensues. Almost ends in blows. The thing we didn't say before that got a shout out about Veronica in this moment the badass that she is, when confronted, Katie's been in her face yelling, yelling, yelling. Veronica finally decides, you know what? I'm going to get in your face too. And the whole time, Veronica, I don't know if she was either about to get in the shower, had just came out of the shower, but she has shorts on, but then she just is like holding a towel over her front side. She doesn't have a shirt or a top on. And even though she's not even fully dressed when this is happening, she decides she just starts charging Katie and like sticking her face and her chest like up in Katie's face. And the whole time I'm like, you're not even dressed and you're going at like you're about to throw hands with this person. You're like getting all up in their chest. And it's just, uh, it makes it even more impressive that she's like, I don't, you're catching me at the worst time. You did this on purpose. I just got out of the shower. I'm not even dressed yet. I'm only halfway there. You're in my face. I'm going to get in your face. Love everything about it. That moment. Fourth and final nominee then is CT in the pink bikini. We referenced it earlier. Explain a little more now. The Come Sail Away Daily Challenge, selling goods on the street. They're, They're trying anything they can to get people to buy the stuff they're trying to sell. And one of the ways they get pull this off is by there's the real world team has a pink bikini, a very small, little, thin pink bikini. And they convince a woman, uh, a middle-aged woman, they're like, hey, we know you don't actually want this, but if you buy it, he will put it on and dance around for you. How about that? Will you pay for it? And then he will put it on and dance around for you. She pays, CT puts it on, he dances around, he twerks on her a little bit. The whole thing's great. All of the female cast members and all are, you know, swoon a little bit. A lot of the male cast members either swoon or intimidated. I swoon. I'm intimidated. Anyone watching, it's a very memorable moment from CD to say the least. It's a very inventive way to get someone to buy some stuff and to try to bring home a win in that daily challenge, putting it all out on the line. He will put this on. If you buy this bikini, he will put it on. Put it all in. It's not gonna fit. Turn around. Go. Go. Desperate times call for desperate measures. And I had to step up for the team. When I saw CT come out with that bikini on, I realized my life was complete. I'll drink to that. And while that is great from CT, uh, when it comes to iconic moment notorious, best, most memorable, whatever you want to say. Julie trying to kill Veronica is really, it's the only way this can, this can end. It's the only one that can win. Uh, it is one of the most top of mind memorable moments in the history of the show. And while there are multiple of those this season, it, it's the one that has to win. So that's what it is. Julie and Veronica, 
episode one, daily challenge, grope the rope, trying to pull the safety harness. That is the moment of the season. As for the best episode of the season, uh, it's a little tricky this time, unlike seasons prior. This one, very, very good season. We're going to grade it here momentarily as a whole, but it's just consistently good, consistently interesting, and there's some high highs, these huge, huge moments, uh, but there isn't, there wasn't in previous seasons, there's been almost every season we had so far has only had one episode rated A, and then some B rated, and mixture of B, low Bs, high Cs, that sort of thing. This season is like almost all in the B range, and there's a handful of B pluses. None technically crack my rankings for a full-blown A-ranked episode, but, which is very interesting when we get to the season award, but... Three of them are nominated for the best episode, episode one, 10, and 15. Episode one, it's the premiere plus Julie, Veronica trying to kill her on the harness, that whole situation. So in the premiere, is just a good premiere. It's fun. The premiere is always fun. Everyone getting into the house, the whole cast there, the whole thing. Episode 10 has the bungee bound daily challenge plus CT beating Shane in the elimination plus Leah going to the hospital. So there's all this human interest side. There's a good, the best elimination of the season. There's one of the best daily challenges. There's some bickering going on, some seeds being planted for the big fights that are come, come later on. That's a great episode. Episode 15, Kendall wins the elimination plus the Coral Veronica daily win to make the final. That one's really, really good. If I got to pick between the three, I'm going to go with episode 10 bungee bound as the best episode of the season. Now we've got the big, the big award to hand out, the season MVP, the thing every challenge cast member wants, desires, dreams about, vies for the big, the most prestigious award in the challenge world, the season MVP. We've handed out seven of them before. We're here to hand out the eighth one, the Inferno MVP. And we're going to do it the same way we did the last season. We're going to break this down to where were you gone too soon, our top five ballot leading up to our winner. So to break down a couple people that don't make the ballot but are worth a quick mention, an interesting side note. First is the where were you's, which this season there's only one where were you, and that's CT. It's very surprising to say this, but CT's not very involved this kind of this whole season. He has the little flashes. He's got the elimination win. It's great. It's, you know, won an award earlier in these awards that were handed out. He has you know one of the great moments. He, he made multiple award nominees. But those were kind of his only moments the whole season. He's not very present. He has one of the lowest confessional counts on the season. He's kind of quiet. He's in the background. And, you know, it's it's uh, it's an efficient season from him of, like, when he does pop up, it's it's memorable. Him versus Leah, the bikini, the, the elimination. But when he's not there, he's not there. And you would think any season of CTs is if he's there the whole time, he makes it to the final, he's probably a nominee for the MVP of the season. Not the case. He's kind of falls in the where were you category. I, I kind of expected more um, not remembering this season that well, going back into the rewatch. And uh, it's the seeds are there for the iconic, memorable, arguably greatest of all time career that is to come. But this season, I did find myself asking where was CT a little bit more often than I thought. Then there's the gone too soon. The easily would have made the ballot if they stuck around long enough. They were on an MVP caliber pace, but then they just left the game too early. That would be Jeremy and Julie. Jeremy comes in hot as a rookie, looking to prove himself. He's open to throwing himself into the elimination first time around just to get it out there, set a tone for his team. He does. He wins. It's great. He's kicking butt in the daily challenges. He has one of the most mature, uh, nice friend moments in the history of this entire show when the first time Katie gets super upset with her team he talks her down and has just this unbelievably like mature supportive conversation with her of like 
how would how would things how could things be different for you to you know feel more respected, feel better? What kind of support do you need? What you know? Here's what we're looking for. You're looking for. Let's get this all talked out. Let's be friends. Let's you know be good people here. And it's it's wonderful and it's great. So he's a team leader. He's a great dude. He's kicking ass. He's putting himself into eliminations, but he does it a second time around and he ends up getting sent home. So uh, real strong performance just was only there for six episodes. So gone way too soon to be on any MVP ballots. Same thing for Julie makes it 12 episodes. She's a huge storyline throughout. She's got all the moments with Coral that we've discussed at length. She's, uh, you know, she's the one that has the most fun smashing guitars during that daily challenge. She's just having a great time. Very present. Lots of quotes, lots of confessionals, lots of just, you know, strategy, feistiness, the whole thing. She's, ever present, ever valuable, putting up a great performance, but doesn't quite make it long enough into the season to crack the top five of the ballot, which we will go through now. So five people make the final ballot for MVP in reverse order here. We'll start with number five, and that is Kendall. Kendall, a one and done champion on the flagship show. This was her only season of the flagship. She comes in, she kicks butt, she gets a win, 11 dailies, one elimination, one final win, never to be seen on the flagship go again. She was one of the one and done perfect champions of the challenge, comes back and puts that perfect record on the line in the all-stars world of present day and, you know, ruins a perfect record because it's a perfect record. It's it's not going to last forever, but a pretty near perfect season from her. She's got the relationship with Mike. She stands up for herself. And, you know, after he's completely shitty in that elimination where she shows all the poise, wins the best athletic performance award for the season. She's Katie's best friend in the later half of the season. The only one that's nice to her, talks with her, chats with her, makes her feel like there's any reason to be there and any reason to have fun, someone to hang out with. She's just super sweet, wonderful person. She feels she's so nice. So over the top, unbelievably impossible, can't be cutthroat, can't be can't be ruthless, can't be selfish, such a nice angelic person that she feels bad when her team doesn't tell her not to win a mission and then she wins it and she throws herself in that elimination. Anyways, all good stuff from Kendall, worthy of making the MVP ballot. She comes in at fifth. Then the only male on the top five of the ballot, the Mike, the Miz, comes in at fourth. As always, if Mike's in the season, Mike is a big part of the season. That was, they were going to have it no other way. He was going to have it no other way. And yet, we don't want it any other way because he's very, very entertaining. One of the earliest, biggest stars the challenge had. Obviously, going on to true superstardom in the world of professional wrestling, television, and just entertainment in general. His relationships, uh, both the Trishel backstory stuff, Trishel then trashing him to his friends at home, him and Kendall, the whole thing. He goes against Coral. Uh, with a vote against her, he and Coral, kind of the team leaders of Real World the whole time. He has an elimination win, the whole thing. He runs the gauntlet. He's has the most confessionals in the whole season, 65, the most per episode of anyone that lasted more than eight episodes. Some of those times when you go out early, your confessionals per episode are really skewed high. But Mike is ever-present. He's in fourth. Then at third, we've got Veronica. Veronica, third place win not win, third place finish. Uh, her versus Katie, obviously a big, big deal, the big fight. She's ever present throughout the entire season. She's kind of running her team from the shadows a little bit. She's making a lot of the decisions. She's also absolutely kicking ass. She wins multiple lifesavers. She's coming in, putting up great scores in almost every one of the challenges, even the one she doesn't win the top spot in. She gets the incredibly clutch lifesaver at the very end to save herself from elimination. She is officially won back-to-back seasons, is one of the two people the first ever do that her third ever season win and she's a part of iconic moments whether she wanted to be a part of them or not you know julie pulling the harness the whole thing veronica third place and then there's a big divide 
Kendall, Miz, and Veronica are very clearly three, four, and five for me. There's there's a big divide after them before anyone else even had a chance of making the ballot. But there's a big divide between three and two and one here. Two and one. This is probably the hardest decision I've had to make uh, handing out this season MVP award. The ballots came in. They came in tied. They we redid them. Came in tied again. We revoted multiple times on this. We split hairs. We thought about it each way we could. We flipped it one way to the other to see how we felt, how what it looked like to put this person first, this and second, flip it back around. How do we feel now? Does either feel more right than the other? And in the end, we were splitting hairs, but we ended up putting Katie at second. Katie MVP caliber performance. It's just one of those seasons where you had you had two MVPs in one season, and only one person can win the award. And Katie, deserving. Uh, of probably being called a challenge MVP for the performance she puts up this season, but doesn't quite get there. Second place finish. She is the four-time episode MVP this season, though. Every episode, I name an MVP of the episode. She won four of them over the 17 of this season. She's the story of the second half of the season. There's kind of shades of Sarah Grayson on the gauntlet, kind of a half-season version of it, two two eliminations versus five, but kind of that the team member road rules doesn't want, but fights her way to the end, ends up winning. Two elimination wins. She's fighting with everyone all the time. She's causing drama. She's causing entertainment. She's causing laughs. She's putting up impressive performances. She is the one that nails basically almost all of the crossword at the end, the crossword puzzle that is the real defining moment of the final challenge that wins the final challenge for road rules. She's smoking cigarettes through the whole thing. It's all, it's all great. It's all wonderful. It's an incredible virtuoso performance from Katie. It's an MVP-worthy performance, but it doesn't quite get her an MVP trophy because... The winner of the Inferno season MVP has to be, after a lot of labor and discussion, it's got to be Coral. It's got to be Coral. Coral has been on an MVP ballot before. She's been around any season she's on. She's been she's been right there, right there ready to win it. And this one, she gets the job done. She brings home that MVP award. She's got the unbelievably iconic quote. She's got the big moment. She's got her versus Julie. She's got her versus her team a little bit. She's got her being the leader of her team, manipulating, running her team. She's got her and Mike and their best friendships slash backstabbing that Mike keeps doing to her every season. She's the Dan Renzi Award for the Confessional King or Queen of the season winner. She has the second most total confessionals. She's always a value add. She's always present. She's got the clutch elimination or clutch lifesaver win at the end of the season. She performs really well in the daily challenges this time around, a reversal of how she was kind of doing on the gauntlet. Just the whole thing. If he comes down to it, when looking at Coral and Katie and say, what if we took this person out of this season? What happens? How much does the season lose? It would lose a lot to lose Katie. It would lose a whole heck of a lot, but it would lose the most to lose Coral. That would be the biggest hole. She is, if anyone is the son that this universe of a show spins around for this season. It is Coral on the Inferno. She also just really kind of, she she kind of feels like the defining player of the Inferno. When I think the Inferno, I'm like, Coral, that's, that's it. Especially with the later seasons when it's badass good guys, I'm like, Coral's the definition of like the good badass, the badass you're rooting for, who is a good person, who you like a lot, but is an absolute badass. That's Coral. She's the winner. She is the season MVP. Welcome to the ranks of the legends, Coral. With that, we have come to the end. We have come to the final the final thing we must do. We've talked about everything we can talk about about the Inferno, this wonderful, memorable, memorable season. Uh, all the highs, a couple of the lows. Still don't know what the hell they were doing with the eliminations, but, you know, led to some interesting stuff. 
Now we have to grade the season. We have to put it in the Pantheon for all time. We have to put it where it goes in the ranks of all challenge seasons forever. And this was another one similar to the MVP. I went back and forth on this. I tried out some different grades. I put a grade down, thought, does that that feel right? I tried another one. Does that feel right? Which one feels a little bit better? Which one feels a little worse? So we'll start with breaking out our four categories, subgrades. Female cast, male cast, sport cast, show, sport grade, show grade. Female cast gets a B. Uh, coming off of the maybe the greatest female cast ever the season before this one drops down a touch. It is a B. It is still a good cast, but it's nowhere near a great one. Veronica and Coral are doing the real heavy lifting. They got, you know, they're the real icons of the female side of this cast. You got Katie, Julie, and Trichelle, who are wild cards, great members of a cast, you know, have memorable careers themselves, kind of in a second tier beyond Veronica and Coral. And then, you know, Kendall, one and done. Holly is absolutely love Holly Shan. Sarah Rice before Sarah Rice. Holly Shan, dope, two-time winner now. Christina, super good at challenges. is a great, you know, one season for her. Um, but they're kind of all more role player-esque. So female cast gets a beat. There's a, there's a lot to like, but it's not quite as heavy on the star power as other seasons have been. Um, and certainly not of what the male cast brings is the male cast side is the highest rated male cast ever. Uh, it is an a full blown a for the male cast. Cause out of 10 people, all 10 of them are real worthwhile. And just the list of heavy hitters, the top list, we got CT Darrell, Abram, Miz, Cyrus, and Timmy. That is six hall of fame level challengers out of 10 of the male cast. That is unbelievable. Then you've got the next tier down. You've got Shane, very memorable wild card, uh, absolutely brings the entertainment. And then the three you got left, David, Jeremy, and Ace, all great role players, all entertaining, all have good moments in this season, except for maybe Ace, but his early, his first second episode exit is kind of entertaining in its own right. And I really like Ace. So they basically go 10 for 10. There's no duds here in any way. And when you got CT, Darrell, Abram, Miz, Cyrus, Timmy, that's 60% of your male cast. Your male cast is getting an A. So we got a B and an A for female and male cast, respectively. The sport grade, that is where this season lacks a little bit. It's a C plus, mostly because the eliminations are just so fucking weird and all not very interesting to watch. Even if interesting thing happens on the sidelines of those eliminations, it's not that interesting to watch. Um, and some of the daily challenges are really good, but a lot of them, there's some of them that are also kind of boring. And I'm also just not, you know, I'm not as much of a fan of all of the team-based average time where it's like you're doing individual challenges, but you're making them in a way that they're team. And so I kind of want to grade them as individuals, but I got to count them as team wins or losses and stat book and things like that. And it just falls a little extra, a little flat. So C plus on the sport grade, but then on the show grade, that's where things are great. That's a full blown A minus. That is the highest show grade that any of the seasons have got as a, as a subgrade so far. Um, just because all the moments, there's such so many big, unbelievable moments that we'll remember forever that'll go down and challenge lore and history and infamy. And it's got to come in an A minus, which means overall, we got a B, we got A, we got a C plus, we got A minus, you know, it's not a perfect average of those that leads to the overall grade. But as I look back at what we had given great, what we had graded out all the seasons that come before. And as I thought through, you know, these, these four subgrades, and where I thought this season should fit in of these first eight, where should it fall amongst all these others? And what I ended up coming down to, and I reserve the right in all, in all the other pods we've done and hope to in all the future ones, when I give out a season grade on the recap podcast, 
It's final. That's that's history right there. It's etched. But this one is not etched in stone. This one is written in pen. Uh, excuse me. It's not written in pen. I take that back. It's not etched in stone. It's also not written in pen. It is nothing permanent. Nothing permanent here because it is written in pencil because I reserve the right to bump this back down one spot. But right now, I believe this is an A-. minus. I believe this is the first season we have that cracks into the ranks of anywhere in the A category, the A minus, which would put it as the best season to date, eight seasons in. I reserve the right to move this back to a B plus, but even if it's a B plus, I think this is the best season we've had ever, which is why I, I originally was thinking B plus, and then I bumped all the way to A minus, um, just to differentiate it from the two B pluses that have come before, the Gauntlet and Challenge Two Thousand. Um, in Battle of the Seasons, too. Uh, which ones did I rank where? I know the those two were, you know, were up there, B pluses. Yeah, those were the two. And then Battle of the Seasons was a B, as was Real World vs. Road Rules, season two. So that's your top five out of eight coming in. But this one is the best one, I think, so far. Um, as much as I had to take my personal bias of I the gauntlet is just such a favorite of mine. Um which is the subjectively my favorite, but objectively, uh, I love all the seasons subjectively and objectively. I think this is the best one and by a slim margin. So I'm going with an A minus. That's where it goes. It's in pencil, but eventually once I get more comfortable with it, either an A minus or a B plus one of the two, either way, it's the best so far. When we put one through eight in order, this one's coming in at number one, the Inferno, the greatest season of all time as of 2004. And we're done. The flame is out. The inferno is in the past for now. It will obviously be back. That is everything for the coverage of this wonderful, memorable season. The best of all time as of this moment in challenge history, at least tentatively in pencil writing, as we just said. But a wonderful season, a wonderful podcast. Hopefully you've had a great time. I thank you so much for being here for, I know these last a very, very long time, but every one of these seasons you know, deserves deserves all the attention, all the detail, all of uh, all of the content that we can give to it. So, thank you for being here. As always, hit that follow, subscribe button wherever you're listening. Throw a five star rating our way if you wouldn't mind. That helps us out a whole lot. And as I said at the top, if you've got ideas, if you've got things you want to hear me talk about when recapping all these seasons, if you got things you really, really like, things you really don't like. Let me know. Hit me up at Challenge Historian on Instagram. DM me. I try to answer every single one of those I get. I would love, love, love some feedback. Um, at some point in the near future, I'd love to kind of get a, get a little feedback form with a link on the Instagram, maybe where you could click and answer a few simple questions for me. Anything you would like to hear back. So hit me up there. Slide in the DMs if you have an idea, a thought, an opinion that you would like to share. Just keep it constructive. You know, I, I'm 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 looking for constructive. I don't, but uh, you know. We don't have to be, you know, keep it a little less mean-spirited than some of the cast members may keep some of their feedback from time to time. So with that, we will be back later this week. All-Stars 3, big episode, it looks like, coming out on Wednesday. So if you're not watching All-Stars, you should be. Once you watch, our recaps will be up every Wednesday afternoon for the entirety of All-Stars season. We will then be back next week with the next season in the rewatch series, Battle of the Sexes 2, season nine coming up next week. So have a good one until we speak again.